0: Matthew chapter 19 verses 16 through 22 says this. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, "Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life?" And he said to him, "Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments." He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be whole, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for drawing us away from our selfishness, our fleshly inclinations. That you would draw us out and show us a better way. God, I thank you for all that you have taught us through this series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through last semester and even a couple weeks here in this semester. And God, I pray that you would speak to us here in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount with what you want to say to your young adults here at Bellevue of how we are to live, knowing that there are two choices, two paths before us. And one is difficult, but leads to eternal life. And one is easy and leads to destruction. So God, would you help us to just lean in and he- listen to what you have to say tonight from your word. And God, be with us as we worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, finally knocking out the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm excited because I've learned a lot in just preaching through this series. Um, I've, I've had my own theology shaped by the words of Jesus as he... Go, goes up this mountain and gathers his disciples that he's going to invest in for many more years. And a crowd also gathers. And they're, they're almost just leaning in to hear what they can about this teacher, from this teacher. And as we looked at the first week, we, we looked at the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount, how he gathered his disciples in the crowds as both king and philosopher, And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds come away astonished that he has the authority that he has that's way different from the scribes at the time, way different than the Pharisees. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ in 2021, uh, I've learned a lot about what does Jesus mean when he he tells us these things of, of what it looks like to be whole, Right? We saw in the translation, maybe you picked up on it, perfect, but that word has actually a range of meaning. In it. And what it's talking about is being whole disciples of Jesus Christ, that what is on the outside matches that which is on the inside. And we're going to kind of see there's a part of tonight's reading, our scripture, our passage, where we see that continue to play out. That seems to be the ongoing theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that you would be whole disciples, that you would cling to the whole righteousness that Jesus provides us as king and philosopher. And so we we will finish it out tonight looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23, which say this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly "...are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit." Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, Let's ask the Lord to teach us uh, we did this last week i'm going to ask you to do it again would you just bow and offer up a, a, a prayer in silence asking the lord to teach you from this passage what he would have for you to learn tonight oh well, lord god we love you we ask that you would teach us from this passage we pray in jesus name amen so these passages are pretty easy to follow. Uh, they don't take a whole lot of explanation. Uh, we can see from those first couple of verses a clear distinction in terms of two ways to travel, right? We have two ways. There are two ways to travel. He says this in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the first way that we can travel down is the road to destruction. The road to destruction is easy, and it's traveled by many. The road to destruction is easy, and it's traveled by many. And I think this is actually well uh, encapsulated in uh, a song that came out many decades ago. It goes like this. Uh, living easy, living free. Season ticket to a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be. Taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down party time. My friends are gonna be there too. Yeah, I'm on a. You sinners. I can't believe you actually finished that. I'm just messing. The funny thing is I told Chad this earlier. I was actually, I listened to the song in preparation for this sermon. And then I accidentally got it stuck in my head. Like here I am preparing a sermon talking about choosing the narrow gate and I've got highway to hell stuck in my head. But it's a catchy song. And it's actually a very realistic picture of this verse, isn't it? People want ease. They want freedom. And they're just coursing through this world, not asking for help. No plan, no purpose. They just want to live it up while they can with as many other like-minded people as they can. Never being challenged, never being cared for, just habitually, temporarily satisfied. Do you get what I mean by that? They're not ultimately satisfied in, in what Jesus gives them. They're having to fill the void with temporary satisfaction. They have to do it habitually until they are eternally separated from all that is good. Maybe the style of music has changed over the years, but you can still see this to be reiterated in pop culture today. And I don't say this to change your behavior. I'm not trying to say do or don't listen to ACDC. That's not my goal. I say this to open your eyes, that the road to destruction, well, it's easy. It's, it's wide. But there's another road. The road to life is difficult and traveled by few. The road to life is difficult and traveled by few. Jesus says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, I want to kind of center in on this word, Narrow. That word narrow is used in the metaphor to signify a point of access that is crammed, confined, distressed, or troubled. The emphasis is on the difficulty of the way, more so than how many people are traveling on it. And so I want to ask you, have you when was the last time you had to squeeze through something? Like, has anybody ever parked really close to you like you, you parked your car, and somebody doesn't know how to drive or park, and they park way too close to you, and now you have to squeeze into your own vehicle. For me, uh, I thought about. Uh, so I was in the Boy Scouts. Don't make fun of me. Um, I was in the Boy Scouts. I made it to Eagle Scout, okay. And we had uh, we went had a trip to Cumberland Caverns uh, in Middle Tennessee. It's really cool. This really cool cave system you can go into, um, but. When you venture into the caves, there's a part where it gets a little, you know, you got to squeeze a little bit. And so to, to, instead of having people go through the cave system and get to that point and realize I got to turn back, they had this box that you have to make it through the box before you can go and venture into the rest of the cave. And some people didn't make the cut, okay? But I, you know, I was short and small, petite, you know, I, I was able to make it through just fine. But you can understand the feeling of claustrophobia right, of, of, man, I don't want to have to squeeze through this. I don't want to have to get through this very narrow uh, cave. But I'll tell you, every born-again Christian has to deal with some sort of spiritual claustrophobia. I want to kind of explain that. But every born-again Christian has to deal with some sort of spiritual claustrophobia in order to become a Christian, right? The, the, The gate is narrow, It's tight, and some things have to go before you squeeze through. So let me kind of put it into a way that you would probably understand. Think about it in terms of appetite. You cannot consume or partake in the things that you once did. Instead, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we read earlier in this series through the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Think about it in terms of ambition. You cannot aspire to the worldly goals that you once had for yourself. Instead, your aim is to do the will of the Father. To do the will of the Father. And then association. Association. You cannot hang around the same crowd that you once did. That won't end well. Instead, you surround yourself with the few who truly love Jesus. The people you share a bond with and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the strongest bond any two people can have, is that it's rooted in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out on the cross for sinners who would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's who you associate yourselves. You should have a change in appetite an ambition and association. So let me ask you, did your profession of faith cost you anything? If you say, I didn't change my appetite, I didn't change my ambitions, I didn't change my association. Did your profession of faith cost you anything? If not, it might be worthless. Did you drop your baggage when you made the decision to follow Jesus? Even the disciples dropped their nets. Or did you enter deception and go a different way? Did we not see that in our scripture reading with the rich young man? He thought he had what it took, but he was unwilling to make the sacrifice, to squeeze through the narrow gate. That last sentence, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was unwilling to drop the baggage at the gate. But then again, maybe... Maybe you were enticed or lured a different way. We see that that is very well possible because of what Jesus says next. There are those who lure you the wrong way. There are those who lure you the wrong way, and he calls them false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets. In other words, stay away from false prophets. Stay away from false prophets. Well, what is a false prophet? Anyone who you would allow to speak into your life can be a false prophet. It can be a friend, a roommate, a coworker, a parent, a blog writer, an Instagram influencer, a talking head on TV. You name it, if they're speaking into your life they can very well be a false prophet. How do we determine who a false prophet is? Ah, that's pretty tricky, isn't it? That's pretty tricky because false prophets are masters of disguise. False prophets are, ma- are masters of disguise. Jesus goes on Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets appear to be innocent, gentle, similar to us in a variety of ways. They appear to be someone worthy of our trust, and yet they are not. While they might appear to be trustworthy, they are actually treacherous that our demise is involved in their overarching schemes. It may not be the end of their schemes, right? They may not make their whole life's purpose about bringing us down, but we are no more to them than the next meal. Uh, Matthew Henry, a Puritan preacher, put it this way. Every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing. But a false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not only not a sheep, but the worst enemy the sheep have. That comes not but to tear and devour, to scatter the sheep, to drive them from God and from one another into crooked paths. That that's the objective of the wolf who takes on sheep's clothing who outwardly looks like one thing and inwardly is something quite different, dangerous even. And what disturbs me as a shepherd is that they're among us, and I don't always know who they are. But I am encouraged that Jesus tells us how we can judge and evaluate Fairly. Do you remember last week how we looked at what does it look like to judge others with golden vision? That we want to treat others how we would like to be treated by judging others, evaluating others, fairly. Not unfairly, but fairly. And so Jesus continues to equip us to be able to do just that. Judge and evaluate others fairly. He directs our attention to the fruit in order to determine whether a tree is good or bad. In this, we see that false prophets show their true nature by their disobedience to Christ. That's how we can tell a false prophet. They show their true nature by their disobedience to Christ. He says in verses 16 through 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire thus you will recognize them by their fruits plainly enough false prophets produce bad fruit they are incapable of producing good fruit if we know what to look for we can see these ravenous wolves by their fruit and so we we need to be on watch for what to look for. And then false prophets will be found out. They will be judged, and they will be punished for their disobedience. So we can kind of rest in that. We don't have to be pent up with anxiety about who's a wolf and who's not. We can trust God that He knows what's going on, and that one day, eventually, All false prophets will be found out, judged, and punished for their disobedience. It says in just the verse that we just read, they will be found out, cut down, and thrown into the fire. And we don't have to wonder what does that mean? What does that symbolize? We know what that means. Right? Where do we hear the Bible talk about fire and judgment. We know that the punishment for a false prophet disobeying Christ is hell, eternal separation. But the hard part about it is that false prophets take people with them. That if you lean in and incline yourself to hear from a false prophet and let them speak into your life, they will lead you down that wide road to destruction. That's why it's important for us to be on the lookout. Some will be so deceitful that they deceive themselves. Which is why we have, to, we have on record some of the most terrifying words that Jesus ever spoke. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not proclaim the truths of the Bible in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a lot of things we can observe from these verses. And in fact, I'm, I'm positive many of you have grappled with these words before because they seem harsh. What is Jesus saying here? I mean, we can notice a variety of things, but first thing we should notice is wow, I need to be doing the will of the Father. That should be one thing that's on all of our minds. Am I doing the will of the Father? But then also, that there will be a day of judgment. He says, On that day, many will say, That's the day of judgment. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not proclaim truths from the Bible in your name? It's almost like they're surprised. Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do mighty works in your name? Do we not gather at YA worship on Wednesday nights? Do we not go to New Horizons' apartments? Can you kind of see what they're saying? They deceived themselves. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. That word knew is very important. It's a very intimate knowing that Jesus looks on these people and knows them personally. And yet he says to these who he did not know, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not that he didn't know about them. It's that they never took the time to get to know him in a way that would make them a whole disciple of Jesus Christ. They put on a show. And so he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Eventually, all false prophets will be found out, judged, and punished, even those who have engaged in self-deception. But this begs the question, have I engaged in self-deception? Am I? a false prophet did i convince myself that the wide gate and easy way led to jesus now i know there's a category of people here there are those who are overly sensitive about these verses and there are those who are very stubborn about these verses There are some who say, I know Jesus is talking about me there, and I'm scared for my life. And there are those who say, I know he's not talking about me, and they should be scared for their life. So I want to help us out by reflecting on the words of a commentator I've been reading to get through this passage. And he says this These verses are not given to cause morbid introspection or undue self doubt for the believer but rather to exhort one not to be enamored with external gifts or powers and behaviors without paying attention to the person's soul and their heart. Jesus is warning his followers to beware of such people precisely because they have the appearance of godliness and therefore lead others to stumble. Do you get what he's saying there? These verses are not meant to torture us and make you question your salvation. That's not what they're here for. Because if you know, you know, you know that if you receive the gospel and you have put all your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, you know that you're saved. You know that you know that you're saved. But there's some of you who are banking on your perceived godliness the works you've done in the flesh that look legit, they look like they're good fruit and they got some stuff growing inside of it and it's decaying from the inside out and maybe nobody's noticed yet, but eventually all false prophets are found out. That's what this passage is getting at. It would protect us. It would help us to continue to be on the lookout The question we must all ask after reading this verse, regardless of whether we're sensitive or stubborn, the question you have to come to a good answer on, am I doing the will of the Father? Am I doing the will of the Father? That's what Jesus is getting at. And you can see the thread throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that that's what he's really honing in on. And it comes through the very center of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer Or what does he say? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you say that of your life? Can Can you voice that prayer to God the Father? Lord, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. I've told you before, there's a difference. I want to help you kind of define will. There's a a difference in wills. So you have the will of decree, what comes to pass throughout time and history, what God allows to come throughout time and history. It's the will of decree. Then there's God's revealed will, what he expects of his disciples. And that's all throughout the Bible, right? He even said it with the rich young man. He said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and love your, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. That, those are all examples of God's revealed will, what he expects of you and of me. And that's what we concentrate on. Not, we, don't, we don't just keep the rules, trying to earn favor with God. No. No. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. But you can show it off. And that's why we do the will of the Father. Is to show others to bear good fruit. Do you do the will of the Father? This brings us to our our main point for the night looking at this last passage from the Sermon on the Mount. What are we to gain from it? How are we to live? Squeezing through the narrow gate requires a commitment to do the will of the Father while watching for wolves. Squeezing through the narrow gate requires a commitment to do the will of the Father while watching for wolves. We have questions like the rich young man, don't we? How do I inherit eternal life? There's your answer. We know the narrow gate is it's the more difficult path. Nobody said being a Christian is easy. It's hard. And you got to squeeze through the narrow gate and leave some stuff at the gate. That requires a commitment to do the will of the Father. You can't ignore God's word and live the life you want to live if you're calling Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. He is your king philosopher. He runs the kingdom, and he teaches how to live in the kingdom. And you've got to adhere by that as a disciple of Christ. And you've got to watch for wolves, because they are nipping at your heels, looking to get you to go wayward you would take the wide road that leads to destruction. In closing, I'm reminded of how we started this. We looked at the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount and how I kind of made an argument, how they tell us what the crowd's response to the Sermon on the Mount was. They were astonished, right? But what about the disciples? We aren't told how the disciples responded. And I told you, I'm purely speculating, that the, the response of the disciples is the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. That they continue to sur- be, surround Jesus. Lord, tell me how to live. How can I do the will of the Father? And that's, those are the remaining chapters of the, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Until you get to the very end of Matthew where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe the commands that I have given you. And you can be sure of this, I will be with you to the end of the age. Isn't that what we want? For Christ to be with us to the end of the age? takes going through the narrow gate it was difficult for the disciples all of whom gave their life for the gospel to do what jesus told them to do it was hard but look at the reward they have eternal life with the king philosopher isn't that what you want That's what I want. Sure, there may have been wolves here and there. We even have the letters of many disciples who wrote, hey, watch out for those guys. That takes evaluating, judging people fairly according to the standard of God's word. Enter, squeeze in through the narrow gate, through Christ alone. Commit to do the will of the Father and watch out for wolves. Those are the closing words from the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on with one last passage that we already covered. Build your house on solid rock, lest the storm comes and washes it away on sinking sand. We build our lives upon the teaching of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what is the will of the Father, come back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters and you've been through it. You know it, you get it. He will be faithful to be with you and show you how to live, how to obey the will of the Father.